This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary, even in hell. Give me back my head. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're too Hey fiends, Hellcat here. On our show tonight, we offer up our Takeout series, where we will explore the realms of foreign horror cinema. Our hosts will take you along their travels all over the globe, while diving into some of the most lucid storytelling, savage cannibals, vengeful spirits, sadistic killers, and the post-apocalyptic zombie-plagued landscapes. Join us as we dissect the classics that prove sometimes fear comes with subtitles. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Takeout Edition. We have something a little different. Uh, we've been serving up Asian horror for the last couple episodes. This week, we're going Italian style. Uh, going with the 1984 Lamberto Bava directed Devilfish, aka John Old Jr. <laughs> Uh, my co-host this week is a good friend of mine, fellow filmmaker and musician, all-around auteur, Thomas Burdinsky. How are you doing tonight, Tom? Real good, Cam. Thanks for having me. Right on, right on. So how is it in the wilds of Michigan right now? Well, we're uh, we're going through the whole COVID thing like everybody else, and we you know we have we have good weeks and then we have bad weeks, and it seems like after a 
after a holiday, about two weeks after that, things are pretty bad. So right now it's kind of evened out. I'm, I'm getting used to working from home, getting used to kind of being antisocial for the most part. But uh, one, some neat things have come of it too. We, dis we discovered some really cool software called Jam Kazam that allows me to play live with my musician friends. Um, that, that's been a lot of fun. So we stay in touch that way. You know, we do the whole Zoom meeting thing, all that stuff. So, oh, so it's yeah. like Zoom for musicians. Yeah, the neat thing about it is you could, but you can play in real time together. So there's no pauses, like when one person talks, how another person drops out, you know, on Zoom and stuff like that. It's all, you know, all the audio stays going in real time with you. And it's uh, it, it's really good stuff. It's really fun. It's, you know, improved, I think, a lot of our musicianship just, uh, you know, because we don't have anything else to do. We're all sitting around at home. Might as well, uh, you know, make some music and, and do it this way. There's video and everything, too. So... I don't feel like antisocial through all of this, but uh, you know, it's different. It's definitely a whole different, um, you know, kind of just reality right now. And you know, movies have taken a little bit of a backseat during that because you know, where are you going to show them now? All the theaters are closed. There's no cons, you know, to speak of. It's just, yeah, it's a whole no different wasteland. Yeah, yeah, wasteland's the one I miss the most. And, um, you know, but I do think you know Ken is handling it well with wasteland. He's playing it smart. Yes, he made the right decision. Yep, yep, and he's taking care of his, you know, his his long-term vendors like me and, you know, and just saying, hey, you know, we'll just hold on to your table, you guys just take care, and when we can open again safely, we will, so it's, it's, nice. it's good. Well, it's almost good. certainly be there when things get to a much, uh, much safer level. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've just been trying to keep busy myself, been doing a lot of writing, uh, a lot of movie watching on new stuff that I've never seen before, and then... Just a lot of writing, uh, working on a book, working on a couple screenplays for myself, a couple screenplays for others, and nice. just doing doing that, just trying to stay busy, which, you know, pe you would, people are talking about, oh, they're so bored. I'm like, oh, you just don't have good enough hobbies, man. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have cool hobbies like we do, you know? But you but you found 91 minutes to waste on Devilfish? <laughs> well, somebody suggested that we do Devilfish, so I thought, <laughs> why not watch a... a a Fulci movie, not a Fulci movie, but a Vava movie that I haven't seen except, except for the Mystery Science Theater 3000 riff. Sure. That's the only way I've ever seen it. Well, and I'm telling you, I, I laughed just as much. Mm -hmm. I, I did laugh just as much. But, you know, I love bad movies uh, almost as much as I love good movies. And this is uh, what I would consider, you, you can agree with me or disagree with me on this, but I consider it a good, bad movie. It's, it, you know, it, 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 really, it is so bad, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got definitely, you know, some, some, some weaknesses that, that we'll probably get into. But really, when you really get into it, though, and, and you really, you know, look into the, who made it, you know, how it, was, how it all came together, who was all a part of it. It's really, it was like, this is like the all-star film of Italian horror. When, when you look at who was involved, like you mentioned before, Lamberto Bava, you know, I mean, Demons, Demons 2, Macabre, A Blade in the Dark, which Dark, I really yeah. love. Is Gyro, a Blade in the Dark is fantastic. I mean, Michael Sopkin. Yeah, uh, yeah. We did several films, but I mean, they were notable. After the Fall of New York 2019, yep. uh, Blast Fighter, you know, this, and um, Valentine Monnier, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's yep. uh, also quite prolific and uh, also from uh, uh, after the fall of New York. Right. But even even the cast aside, if you if you look at the kind of the whole crew. So, you know, you got Lumberto, great, you know, solid director, learned under his father, Mario, you know, learned under Dario Argento, worked on a bunch of Argento films. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, your your story comes from Luigi Cazzi, you know, who did, of course, you know, Luigi Cazzi is the J.J. Abrams of Italian cinema, as far as I'm concerned. The guy, if I could be I've never anybody, heard him called that before, but I could see that. I, I could well, see, yeah. If you think it through, you know, so J.J. Abrams loved Star Wars, got to reboot the Star Wars franchise. Loved Star Trek, got to reboot the Star Trek franchise. Luigi loved Star Wars, got to make Star Crash with Carolyn Monroe. Loved yes. Alien, got to make Contamination. You know, yeah, which is just a an unofficial sequel to Alien, if you ask. Exactly. You know, but, but I mean, he was a fanboy who got to make, you know, kind of the films he wanted to based on, you know, the films he loved, just like J.J. Abrams did. So well, he even, uh, you know, did the Hercules films with... Yeah, uh, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, same thing, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's just, it's, it's amazing what he got to do, you know, with, with little teeny tiny budgets, but honestly, if I could be any filmmaker 
other than Jay, Jay Abrams, I'd probably be Luigi Kazi just because of you know, <laughs> what he got to make. You know, he got to make the kind of films he loves. But, you know, also in this film, you know, Sergio Martino is also credited with doing the story, you know, who did, uh, you know, Slave of the Cannibal God and Torso and Spaghetti Westerns Torso, and Gilo. I mean, that was the only movie that I associate with Sergio. Because which one? Is it, uh, uh, Torso. Have you seen Slave of the Cannibal God? Oh, I have, but it just is, yeah. my memory isn't what it used to be. Yeah. The, you know, so <laughs> I, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, I don't I, think so, though. Yeah, I, I really like that one. But he's, you know, extremely, he's, he's been, and he's been around film since like, I don't know, the 20s or 30s, you know, he made all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, Dardano Sacchetti, who did the screenplay for this one, he did Zombie, The Beyond, yes. Peace to Hell, stuff. Mean, Demons 1 and 2. I mean, the guy is just a super prolific, he, so he did some really good films, you know, all these guys did. Um, and then if you dig deeper into the credits, Fabio Frizi did the music, obviously Zombie. And of course, our you know Bruno Mattei shows up as an assistant director on this one under another name. <laughs> okay, that I did not know. Yeah, that I didn't know. I, when I, did my, I did my digging, but I didn't see that. Yeah, I mean, so it, it was like it's like an Italian all-star movie. It's like let's get all of these guys who've made all these great gory Italian horror movies, and maybe some not so great. They all kind of came together, but they never really came together. You know, <laughs> it's like right. They, they came all, together, but that no nobody was home. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, nobody kind of put it all together. So the plot never really came together. You know, the special effects never really came together. The editing, nothing really. You know, melded like it should have. Of all the that, things, of all the things that went wrong, you you know, uh, it, it'd be a much shorter list to label the things that went right with this film because things aren't wrong. I mean, the editing. The timing, yes. uh, the pacing, the acting, and, you know, about the only thing that was really good was the music, but the poor choices in editing Yeah, that was, what could have been a great soundtrack. That was the worst part was the editing. There were so many times when, literally, you know, Valentine would be standing there, and you could almost hear the guy yell, action, and then she'd start walking. It's like, I mean, come on, guys. That's like editing 101 kind of mistakes. And, and the editor apparently, you know, didn't like the monster because you you got about four frames of a look at him, you know, at the end of yeah. the movie. They just, he never yeah, the only time you see, see it clearly. Yeah. Because, you know, you see him plenty of times, but it's always a glimpse. It's always a, yeah. a murky underwater shot. I had an, in my notes, it literally said the sci-fi channel, big monster movies and big shark movies were modeled or used the model of Devilfish for their, their template. Used the same, like, three or four different scenarios, three or four same different shots of it traveling through frame, and then maybe show one shot of it actually in the scene, like, with the actor doing an attack, you know, and, and the effects are only... Yeah, and the effects, the effects are so bad. They're so... Yeah. It, it doesn't help, too, that the print... Now, I don't know if you watch what you watched this on. I I found it streaming on. Uh, I had it on VHS, but my VHS is ate up. It's unplayable, uh, so I just watched it streaming on Prime, and it was like watching my ate up VHS. It, oh, it's not is, a very good print. There is a Blu-ray release of it, and I have the Blu-ray, and it's a nice print. It really you can you can appreciate the photography. He had a good DP who's done, you know, a lot of other movies, too. I can't think of his name right now. But when I saw it on the screen, it's like, oh, I know him. You know, so there's actually some good. It's just solid. You know, there, there's nothing flashy about it. But, you know, it was just solid photography. And the sound was, you know, typical Italian. They don't shoot hardly any live sound. They dub it all later. And if you you really pay attention, you'll notice that uh, uh, Michael Sopcu, however he says his name, um, his, his voice is dubbed about half the time by somebody with a higher voice. So it's kind of amusing. But yeah, sometimes, sometimes it, it looks like it's uh, dubbed, and other times it looks well. It looks dubbed badly, and sometimes it's dubbed well. It, you don't know which yeah. software you're going to get when you exactly. Get it. Yep. So, but, you know, so I, I, you know, I get that. I get that criticism of it. I really think it's the editing, though, and I think it again. It's because these guys. I think what they did was they said, "Okay, us, the four of us, let's come up with this this uh, you know Jaws sort of ripoff idea." And like the four writers all went in different directions. They came together and they said, yeah, that's enough. Hey, let's go to America and make this movie and we'll make a vacation out of it. And let's go right. down to Florida. We'll shoot all the fun stuff down there. Then we'll come back to Italy and shoot all the special effects, which is what they did. 
um, you know, the the big scene at the end with the fire and the wetland and all that stuff. Yeah, with the actually the two squads with uh, flamethrowers. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But even the effects guys weren't coordinating because you saw that, you know, the underwater octopus thing has very short tentacles. But then in the scenes where people are getting attacked, this thing's got 30 foot tentacles, long and skinny, you know, grabbing and throwing people. And uh, it was just it was just like everybody had their task, but nobody was overseeing everybody to, to make it all you know come together. And then the special effects suffered because of it. I did like the way the creature looked. You know, the general it, design. I, I I got like I looked at it and I said, okay, I got the idea. I, I know what they were aiming for. Yep. But yep. I, I saw a lot of the issues that you had said. It, it looked like you had three different teams working on it. You know, and, and they just didn't coordinate, you know, and it's just like, oh, well, it'll just, we'll make it work. Yeah. You know, by having a lot of editing. So it'll, it'll be and, cut up so bad, you'll never get to know what the monster really looked like anyway. And for me, I'd rather see a bad monster than no monster. And this movie, yeah. like I said, I think there were probably four good frames where you could actually see the monster where he wasn't on fire or in 20 feet of murky water or, you know, just a tentacle here or there. So Right, when you full on see the whole monster. Yeah. Yeah. There's about, what, really realistically, maybe less than 30 seconds, less than 15 even, I I would say, that you get a full shot of the full monster. I I, Seriously, I think there were four frames. (laughs) At least you can see it. (laughs) You You got the view from inside of his mouth a couple of times, you know, and you got little bits and pieces of it when he was on fire. But, oh, my God. And, and this is on the Blu-ray. I had to keep stopping the frame because I really I emailed you that one picture I had of him. Um, right. So there's a good shot of him. And that was like the only one I could find. So, and the funny thing is that looked better than any than any of the frames I saw when I actually saw it. Because mm-hmm. the, the print I got I, they have on, on Prime is just a VHS print yeah. that's clunky and it's got tracking marks in it It, it's it's pretty bad but you know like i love vhs and i love vhs look so i kind of feel like if i would have seen this for the first time i would want to see it this way it it just it made it feel more realistic to to me you know but you know that being said a, a better print you know would make you appreciate some of the photography more and how it's lit but the, the two things that's got to hurt this film, uh, well, three things. One, well, God, there's a lot more than three things. But, uh, you know, uh, the acting is so uneven. And I don't think the actors understood the plot because I know I certainly didn't. You know, I quite get yeah. what was going on with the WOI Institute. Right. Yeah, they're just a, a bunch of crooked bastards. But what was their end game? Well, yeah. What and what is who? Who is what is Peter Michael Sopkins' character? What what is he? He's, I thought he was a guy that was running like a pawn shop that fixed radios and, and, and <laughs> a old lot of guys Coleco like that. Yeah, got I, like guy down in Florida just fixing old Coleco visions, you know? Yeah, what, but he's, what but he's also like a professor, and he's really well thought of, and he's you know knows martial arts, and I mean he was just like the the, the he was completely you know a, a hero character for sure, but right. What was he? What was he doing there? Why did he know this, you know, this gorgeous professor woman from the, you know, the marine world or wherever she was with? And who are these nefarious bad guys that are killing people? Yeah, they're killing people for to protect this prehistoric fish for no reason. (laughs) They're they're evil. What do they protect him for? You don't get whether or not, like, okay, they want to protect this fish. I mean, once they, you know, folks that are you're listening, the it sounds like we're all over the place, which we are, but the movie is all over the place. Yeah. You're really kind of going linear with it, but it, it makes no sense. There is an, an institute called the WOI, which I, I don't know if I even caught what that stood for, but they know about the, the monster's existence. And the doctor that's running things, I forgot, I forgot his name. Was it a Dr. Barker? Or no, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. God. Dr. What? Oh, yeah, Dr. Barker, yeah, yep. And he has, you know, uh, uh, he's cheating on his woman. He, he's flirting with, with uh, somebody else. I don't know who she's really supposed to be. But they want to keep the existence of this 60 million-year-old Proto shark is what they kind of call it. Is sixty and it's supposed to be sixty million years old. But when they get a sample of its DNA, they find out it's eight months old and it's just a baby. And that's supposed to mean something. Well, did you catch the big dubbing gaff in the uh, 
then, then they introduce that new professor woman, you know, the gorgeous professor girl that they, they bring in. And she's describing yes, yeah. historic fish and all this stuff. And, and she's talking about how 320 years ago, fish developed teeth. And then in the Pleistocene era, fish did this. It's like 320 years ago, really? <laughs> oh, did they really? I, I didn't catch that. I will. I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Yeah. I think they're I doing can. Slideshow. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I actually rewound it around that time because I wanted to hear this thing. You know, existed 60 million years ago, or first, you know, came. I'm like, wait a minute. So if this thing's 60 million years ago, and you're telling us sharks are only 320 years old? Yeah. Again, I just think it's different people writing it, and then whoever translated it for the dubbing didn't care, and they just left that in there. And it's like, you know, again, I just, I just think they, they, they had enough to get the producers to say, hey, sure, we'll finance this. You go make it. And they all thought, cool, we're going to all get a four-week vacation down in Florida. Let's go. You know, we'll right. shoot this movie real fast. We'll come back and do the pickup shots, you know, that we have to. But, hey, you know, Luigi, Lamberto, and everybody, we're going to go take a trip to Florida. Let's go. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened, and they still got a completed film out of it. So good for them. Mm -hmm. They got a vacation and, and a good movie. That well, well, not a really good movie, <laughs> but a movie that still, you know, uh, has a bit of a cult following these days. You know, I, 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 I think it, I think it kind of deserves one again, just because of the all stars that were behind it, and just the you, you can see the style in it. You know, it's it's and again, Lumber, Lumberto is not really flashy. He was in Demons. That was like his flashiest movie, but for the most part, he's just yeah, the demons he boxes movie. scenes very well. They're very solid. You know, he gets not you know not great performances, but again, half his actors don't speak Italian, so in his English, and the other half don't speak English. You right, know, they're yeah. dubbing and they're yeah, everything's dubbed. Yeah, so he he gets a few over the top performances, and then he gets you know he gets a good performance out of Valentine and a couple others. That uh, that French Islander girl who looks about fourteen. That uh, that uh. Uh, Sapkow has a little uh, affair with. And was, oh, the one that's playing video games that works for yeah. him in his shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't get like what what was the deal with her all of a sudden being in cahoots with mm -hmm. the bad guys? Yeah, Where did that yeah. Come from? I, yeah, I stopped that, it, rewound it, and, and had to watch it over again because I'm just like, wait, she she did what? She gave him the keys, you know? And, what? and then she just disappears. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're supposed to be led led to believe that that he the 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 th the thug guy killed her. Yep. But they, they no, didn't never show it. No, and I, speaking of awkward and and kill scenes, what about the there's a scene they're talking about bad editing. This is like the worst part of of the film when they're intercutting between the very awkward love scene between Michael Sopkin. And uh, the the girl Sandra, the the island girl that works for him at his shop, and it's cutting in between. The, there's a lady that was going to spill the beans. She was going to give up trade secrets about the WOI, but you never know who what she was. <laughs> yeah, who was she? You didn't know who she was. You didn't know. Well, I mean, what her relation was to these people. You you kind of figure out that she must have worked for him, and she's blowing the whistle. Yeah. And uh, she calls the guy who comes to kill her and what else is his job besides killing people so it's figured would be known she's going to call this guy and tell him i'm i'm going to spill the beans on you yeah. i'm going to blow the whistle and open this whole thing open and, there's, and you don't scare me well yeah he doesn't scare you. he comes in and he he, he drowns her and, or not drowns her but he uh puts her in and then it will makes it look like an accident by dropping the uh the uh the hair dryer in the tub and then ripping the panties off. I don't know if that version's on Amazon or not. But uh, no, yeah. I did not see that. But but yeah, the, so he, yeah, he drowns her. He drowns her. You know, throws the thing in there to electrocute her. Then as he's leaving, he goes back and rips her panties off. Jeez, <laughs> classy, huh? Yeah, uh, I was gonna say real, uh, real yep. unclassy guy there. Yep, but yeah, oh, creep, creepazoid, creepazoid character. You he couldn't die soon off. enough, and then he didn't die. You know, is this? Uh, I felt like uh, there was there was no payoff there, but yeah, that was just really awkward. But the whole scene is, in, but it's intercut between the kill scene and this this love scene. But and the music is both like two different songs. It's yeah. two different themes. You know, there's one that's very slow, very romantic, kind of jazzy, and then the next thing is synthesizers and this girl's being, you know, choked and and killed and whatnot. And it, it was just, you know, I mean. We watch Grindhouse and Exploitation movies, you know, that's our thing. But it was just very off-putting. It made me feel very uncomfortable. I was just like, and it was very 
just badly edited. I'm like, okay, like, why these? This movie would have had a totally different feel if a lot they did that a lot of times where they intercut between you know two people trying to untie some cords around a motor that you know that's blocked up so they can you know continue traveling down the Everglades to somebody being attacked by our devil fish, but cutting back and forth. But then like the characters decide that the two characters we have in uh, Peter and uh, uh, Doctor Stella Valentina. You know, uh, they they stopped to you know to make out in, in on the beach. You know, while there's a, a monster running around. I mean, and they do a very like Jewel of the Nile, romancing the stone kind of like music and shots, like you're looking at a Harlequin novel. And, and then somebody's being attacked by a squid shark monster in between the shots. And again, those weird juxtapositions of, of scenes. It, the editing style made no sense. Uh, like a five year old edited it. Yeah, and, and I think, again, it goes back to the fact that you got four people writing and, and screenplay and story, so they were all kind of on their own little, you know, wavelength and probably assumed that somebody was going to connect all this and, and, you know, make it come together and make more sense again because, like you say, you, you're kind of shifting momentum so quickly going from, a, you know, a love scene on the beach to supposedly tension as they're waiting for this, you know, monster to strike, and it's uh, it, it kind of just it just feels like filler because of it. But uh, yeah, but, it, yeah. It was, but those scenes were so well shot, you know. I was like, I didn't mind. And again, I'm, I'm sorry you had a, a lousy print, but that that uh, little lovemaking scene on the beach and some of those other ones—they're really well shot. I mean, the guy did a great job. Um, but but you know, for what for what effect, you know? <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. It just it, they were well shot and then ruined ruined by how they they chopped them up. It just the pacing, you know, was just so weird and so off and i hate to say like oh the music was bad now not, I, I it was but it wasn't it was good music but when they would cut back and forth from the one scene to the next it would like jump cut with the music you know for those of you that are listening at home that maybe haven't seen this you know it, it would jump between two different styles of music and two different speeds and tempos and it just felt very clunky i, I guess and very yeah just very clunky it's very grindhousey, yeah. It's it's like, um, yeah. And I I can relate to this as someone who has written soundtracks. When when you don't get the final cut, you know, when you don't see the locked cut, and then you're putting music to it, and then you find out later they recut it, and you see what they did to your music, you know, it's it's it can be depressing. I, I have a feeling probably what what you know Fabio was working from probably worked really well for him. It was probably a nice consistent theme. I doubt that he sat there and you know cut his music to fit you know that particular sequence i think they probably did that oh. afterwards it's yeah, it's it, it happens you know soundtrack yeah, people, I, we, I we bet he didn't, like, he didn't he didn't have a hand in that i would almost bet money on that because yep, no musician would cut their music up like that no you, you kind of when, when you're done writing music for a movie you kind of just you cross your fingers that they mix it down decently and that they don't uh, make it too loud or too soft or do that kind of thing to it and you know Nine times out of ten, they do something like that that you don't like. <laughs> well, hey, at least when um, you edited my movie, you didn't have to worry about that. I didn't. <laughs> I had control. For those of you that don't know, don't know at home, uh, Mr. Badinsky here is quite the accomplished uh, musician and filmmaker, but he edited uh, the final cut and did the soundtrack, the all the ambient music and whatnot for my feature, Postmortem America 2021, and did a wonderful job. So... If you're looking to hire somebody, hire him. You get the Cinema G Generation's uh, seal of approval. But yeah, you didn't have to worry about that with mine. I mean, I had had a couple suggestions and things, you know, about tracks and about, uh, you know, things in the final cut. But But yeah, no, it's, yeah, I I am, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm here, I'm here to be hired. I also appreciate, you know, Cameron, when I heard about your $300 appearance fee to be on your show, that obviously that's, that's something nice too. So thank you for that. Oh, oh, yeah, you're welcome. Checks in the mail. <laughs> I'm taking it to the post office. <laughs> if, well, okay, yeah, yeah, we we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good good thing not to get into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, well, you know, and the thing is, we we'll talk about like some of the clunkiness. You know, I, I when I delved into you know the little bit of the trivia and the Wikipedia for this movie. A couple of things they did do, which I thought was interesting, they hired real amputees to place a, mm. a couple of the different victims for yeah. the, uh, you know, the monster squid shark. And that, I mean, I, 
Yeah, that yeah. shows he's in one spot. I didn't know that at, at first. I watched the movie, then did the, the you know the trivia afterwards, and I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's why the guy they drag out of the water looked so good because he really didn't have any legs. Because so I was yeah. looking for like, where's where's his leg? It's, it's got to be tucked up behind him between him, you know, in his pant leg. He's just got a leg tucked back. I'm like, nope, nope, that was yeah. that was for real. It's kind of the highest level of exploitation when they when they do that. And I and I'll admit that's something I, I mean, I think it's great if these people, you know are actors or want to be actors and they get to act. But if you're just taking advantage of, you know, someone's physical handicap for, you know, for that kind of reason, that, that to me is kind of uncool. I mean, I'm sure he got paid and he, I'm sure he was happy, you know, with the pay, but it's just, you seems know, extremely exploitive, but it is, you know, I, as long as the man was paid, you know, I'd, I'd want to know that if, you know, if, if he actually didn't get a bounce check, because let's face well, yeah, it, most, a most lot of these guys, movies. yeah, you, you heard from, uh, I'm sure Ian McCulloch when he was at, uh, Cinema Wasteland, a lot of those guys never did get paid. They had to sue to get paid. Carolyn uh, mm-hmm. Monroe had to sue to get paid for one of Luigi Cosi's movies. You know, it's like, yeah, they have to go through that just to, to get your money. So, yeah, I do hope at least he got that. But, yeah, to me, you know, you can make a movie like Mr. No Legs or something like that where the guy's really, he gets to act. You know, he's, he's you really... Something you know, like uh, American Horror Story where they allow you, you know, to actually p- play a character and not yeah, just be... Yeah. You know, seventh dead guy from the left. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just that that kind of bothered me with, with this one. But it was it was you know if if I hadn't known that, but I did know it. Um, it's it's an effective scene. You know, yeah, it really is. It's very That's like, and and it was interesting to me, of course. So you know, Dardano Sacchetti, you know, who wrote Zombie. The beginning of this movie has a lot of similarities to Zombie. You know, here's the boat adrift, and, you know, here comes the helicopters, and, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh. He, he was just rewriting his intro to Zombie here with the, the Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't think of it that way. but Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was very similar in terms of just kind of the way they approached that whole sequence. So, but hey, you know, rip yourself off if you can. Why not, you know? You know, hey, if it worked once, I guess, you know, yep. it doesn't hurt to try to see if it works again. It, it did work again. I thought it was an effective scene, even though the... Uh, Coast Guard guys screaming as they jumped out of the helicopter was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that that was like one of the few times I think they used the raw audio. Yeah, probably they did. These are actors who had no idea they didn't want to jump in that cold water most likely, but uh, <laughs> That was something else I read. They said even though they were shooting in the Fort Florida Everglades that the water was very cold and the, the actors were like turning blue. Oh, I believe it. I believe and I there's a reason why Michael Sopko only made like four or five of these. Yeah. Well, other than, well, I guess he got arrested before that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. The trivia, I think that happened a couple of years before and when he got out of jail for yeah, smug- got- smuggling. <laughs> smuggling yeah. some ganj. Yep. Yeah. But honestly, I, 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 I wish he'd done more movies. I think he's very solid in these kind of roles. You know, he... He's he's good at like kind of playing the you know that lone hero type yeah. you know yeah. that type of archetype character. Yeah, so, I like him in, uh, as a uh, Parsifal in um, After the Fall in New York, twenty nineteen. That's my favorite movie with him. That's my favorite role of his. Yep, yeah, I I think this is probably I don't know. I like Massacre in Dinosaur Valley too. He's I think he, he's just just so solid. He probably could have. I think he just didn't want to do it. I think he just moved on to other things. But uh, I think he, he was like more. He was like the Michael Dudikoff of uh, yeah. Italian films. Yeah, yeah. It's a good, good comparison. You know, he got the same kind of look, the same kind of, like, stoic yep. stance about him and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, but we got a couple of good movies, and, you know, lot, and several of the movies he, he did, you know, are, are cult hits, you know. So mm-hmm. it's yep. better to be remembered for something that you didn't even do that, you know, I guess that well or that long than to not be remembered at all. If you uh, if you ever do, or if your audience ever does pick up the Blu-ray of this, he is interviewed. Um, he does the commentary, and they interview him kind of before the movie, and you can kind of see him today. He's 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 got to be in the '60s now, but he he still looks good, looks like an actor, and he's very funny. Um, and he talks about how he occasionally will run into people at the video stores that still remember him, you know, remember him from these movies. And <laughs> uh, he did some cons years and years ago on the West Coast, and or I think he did one on the East Coast, and. Not so many people remembered remembered him there, so he kind of stopped doing them. But I think he'd be a great con guest myself. Oh, I, I Cinema Wasteland. Oh, it'd be awesome. Oh yeah, I plunked down money to have him sign my After Fall in New York poster. 
There you go. I, w- I would too. I would. I'd love to chance to talk. He's very social. And just he has great memories of these movies, and uh, he seems very funny. I seen an interview yep. with him on uh, the post-apocalyptic uh, box set that I got. That's got Escape from the Bronx and After the Fall of New York, and then I think Warriors of the Wasteland is the third one. I can't remember which the third one is, but there's an interview with him there. He seems very candid, very funny. Like, you know, he's the type of would, would have interesting stories of these crazy old European films. Yep. Yep. And I also wish old Valentine had done more movies. I always thought she was just gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. The camera quality to her, even though they uh, never let her comb her hair and uh, Devilfish, which is a shame. They, uh, she was always getting out of the water and, you know, just had frizzy hair the whole time. But, uh, yeah, they put her through hell in this movie, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, between all the jumping in and out of the boats and swimming and yep. fighting monsters and almost getting killed by a by a boat, by a devilfish, by dolphins, you yep. know. Yeah, and she's just a tiny thing, you know. I would be scared you're going to break her legs or something. She's just so tiny. But, but yeah, she, uh, I don't know, she only looked like from, you know, I kind of tried to look her up afterwards on, on Facebook just to see if she'd done really anything else, but kind of it she just did a few movies and did uh what three men in a cradle or something to you know a later sort of comedy but didn't uh like wasn't that the movie isn't that the movie that um three men and a baby was the american one was based on yeah or or the other way around i I can't the other way around usually the italians kind of rip us off so i don't know (laughs) 80 i don't know I, i honestly don't know but uh I don't, yeah, I, I don't know where the, from, the timeline. I remember her from After the Fall of New York. That's where I remember her. Yeah, see, I, I for some reason, even though I'm a huge Bava band, and I like a lot of the people that were involved with these movies, I just never saw this one. You know, uh, I, I, I mean, other than on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, yeah. riff. You know, I never never rented it, never seen it, so I only, I'd only known it within the context of seeing the guys, you know, riffing it the entire time. So I never, you know, you never kind of get to see it in any other context. Yep. So maybe that also kind of changed my view on it. It might have taken it down a peg, you know, just because it was that level of a movie, you know. But it's still, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's still a fun movie to watch. It, it didn't feel like a chore, and I wasn't watching the, the, the clock. Even with pacing issues, you know, and, and things like that, I wasn't counting the minutes going, Ugh, you know, when is this going to, like, be over? But it's only an hour and a half long. No, and, and, you know, unfortunately for you, you know, you were watching a kind of a VHS rip of it, and the DV, the Blu-ray is really a good-looking movie. I mean, it is, it is well shot. It is well lit. The sound is good. It, it was a professional production. Other than, you know, the editing, which screwed it all up and, and some of the special effects that didn't work. But, I mean, it was on par with the other ones, you know, the, the better ones in the early 80s that the Italians did. It just, you know, it was it made good film quality. You know, they didn't use those lousy filters that Fulci started using toward the end. You know, I mean, they just they, they just had a good-looking movie. And, uh, you know, it, it gets points for me for that. They, they definitely took it seriously, only I, <laughs> even though I think... When, when they finally pitched this to some producers and they were like, I think they were more excited about making the trip to the Florida Everglades and, you know, than they were about really making this movie because they never really put all the pieces together in any kind of coherent, you know, story. And that that's a shame. Yeah, yeah it, it felt like there was more than one movie going on at the same time. And they, yeah. <laughs> it felt like there was, how many writers were there? Six, seven? At least, well, yeah, I think five that I'm aware of. Yeah, six, six. Yeah, I don't know a couple of them, but, and, um, and, and but, I think you know, some of the writers were there to write kind of the soft core porn scenes, and some of them were there to write the action scenes, and, you know, but there was just nobody who was reading the whole thing other than maybe Lumberto, and, and maybe he just wasn't really, you know, plugged into it. He probably was like, we're just making a Jaws ripoff here with an octopus, and, you know, I think he just probably wasn't as maybe I don't know. It's it's hard to say. You know, it just seems wasn't coordinating it. It just yeah. It, there there was a lack of uh, a line producer uh, or a, a really solid pr- production assistant too. You know that was just like, hey, um, you know, like how are we explaining how they're here and then he's over there and who yeah. is he and why is he? Yep. You know, the who's and the why. And sometimes it's not just why it's happening. You got to know. You know when, where, who. and the relationships between the characters were never 
made clear at all. You know, why did Peter know Dr. Stella? Why, why was this nefarious group? You know, what was their relationships? Why was the one doctor unaware of that, you know, Project Shark Killer or whatever it was? Yeah, why is he not aware of it? You know, and, and, and it was just, they just never really, you know, linked into sure. that. Let's yeah. not forget the sheriff who just, you know, he's a good actor. Uh, the yeah. guy played him, Gianni Jark. Uh, I mean, he's an accomplished dude. He's did. I know. I know him from several things. Uh, you know, he he's done at least a hundred films, at least a hundred movies. Hey man, he, he got a he and, got a vacation to Florida. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but he just he walks through it. He yeah. Ju he just he just kind of walks through it. He. He, you know, is the equivalent of uh, the European 1980s version of Michael Madsen. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean that with the utmost respect because I love a lot of the man's work, uh, yeah. both of them. But, yeah, but, you know, sometimes it's just a paycheck and a vacation in the Bahamas. Yep. But, you know, Americans did the same thing. You know, they, they oh, went over yeah. to Italy and, you know, mailed in their performances because they wanted to get a trip to Rome out of it. You know, so it's okay. Well, you know, and, and most of them thought Amber Williamson made a, a living out of that for several there years. There you go. And, and most of these people, they never envisioned DVDs and VHSs. They thought these movies would show up for two weeks and they'd never hear about them again. You they know? didn't know people would be scrutinizing them 40 plus years later. Exactly. You know, that's, that's they didn't even know what a podcast was when they made these movies. Right. Right. Well, we and have then they turned around and they, they made a cult movie out of it. So, you know, hopefully the ones that took it, you know, put a good effort in, you know, good for them. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it like I keep saying, it's, it's a bad movie, but it is a fun movie. I did write down one point uh, with Dr. Bob. Now, we got Dr. Bob, who is just pretty much his job was to boat around in the water and drink beer. I mean, was that really all of his job? I'm not quite sure what... Yeah. Uh, Started out with, he started out with the big Budweiser cans, and then he got the little European cans later in the movie. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. The, the American beer budget ran out real quick. Yeah, it did. He's got the line when he's arguing with somebody, and he's like, it's too important to science. And it's yeah. just like, oh, God, I want to be like, that, that was a point when they needed an editor to be like, why is it important to science? Yeah, yeah. We need something here called exposition. I think a lot of filmmakers, obviously, they're not scientists, so they don't. Oh no, uh, <laughs> they don't understand what science is, and you know, science is, you know, it's still business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just, you know, they just write it like, you know, what was this like machine that was all smashed up that Peter was trying to fix? Because he's, it's almost the kind of the Hudson Hawk thing. And Hudson Hawk, Bruce Willis, yeah. always trying to get his cappuccino. In this movie, Peter is just always trying to go on fucking vacation. Everybody stops him while he's like yep. two feet from tossing his his suitcase into his car. Like, oh hey, we got we got you to we need you to go out in the water. We need you to fix this again. It goes back to who the fuck is he? And <laughs> why is he so why, important? Why is yeah? Why is he kind of the Han Solo of the Everglades? Yep. <laughs> or, you know, or more or less uh, the Indiana Jones of the Everglades. Well, same thing. Yep. But. Yeah, you're yeah. right on there. I was—I never understood what what he was supposed to be, and you know, he was sort of a professor, or a genius, or a MacGyver, or. But at the same time, I didn't worry about it. You know, it didn't really matter all that much because <laughs> the story moved. You know, okay, he did—he did his thing. He got beat up. You know, and he was—he was out there to try to figure out this mystery. It's like, eh, it's cool. He was, you know, he—he he was was solid as far as doing his delivery and things like that. So I didn't—it didn't bother me. But going back and thinking about it, and this is, you know, unlike, I don't know how many times you've seen this movie, but I... I watched it twice now, maybe three times. Well, three times counting the the, the Mystery Science Theater. Okay, because I, I watched it back when I was writing the, my my old movie, the Italian Zombie movie, and I was I was studying all Italian Fuck films movie. at that time. What's that? A good fucking movie, too. Both of them. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um yeah. But I was I was trying to figure out how to write that awkward Italian to English dialogue, you know, how to try to say things, how Italians try to say things in English. So I was really studying all these movies, and I think I watched Devilfish probably twice then, and then I bought the Blu-ray, and I'd, I'd caught it other times too. So I probably watched it half a dozen times, believe it or not. And you know, if it's if I have it out for whatever reason or it's on, I watch it from beginning to end. 
I mean, I don't, I, I just, I find it entertaining enough to just throw it in and watch it, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of those movies, let's face it, were, the dubbing was always kind of off, you know, mm-hmm. the dubbing was bad. But it's my favorite, you'll hear me talk about many favorite uh, subgenres. But there is one that is especially near and dear to my heart is Italian horror movies. It's just there's something about them. There's something about the bad dubbing that sometimes the sound isn't quite right. There is something about them because, like, name, uh, you know, uh, a Fulci flick that doesn't have at least some wonky d- a dubbing in it or editing. But <laughs> I love those movies. Yeah. Favorite subgenre of all. Number one, numero uno. Yeah, and you know me, the same with me. I, yeah. I well, you, you named your, your first two movies, the Italian Zombie Movie Part 1 and 2. I mean, yeah, that says it right there. Hell, when I met you, you were with our boy, Keith Zahn, who was wearing a sandwich board sign that had the, the ad for, I don't remember exactly what the ad said, but it had, like, the poster art on it and said something about Italian Zombie Movie. That's all I caught, and I yelled at him from across the hall, across tons of people, Hey, you! Zombie boy. I think that's what I yelled. Zombie boy. And he looked and, you know, that's how we met and how we got to be friends and stuff for those of you listening at home, you know, but yeah, that's all I saw was some about Italian zombie movie. I didn't know what it was, but I, I knew I had to know. I think, yeah, that was horror hound. Wasn't it probably in uh, yeah. Cincinnati maybe. Yeah. That was Cincy horror hound. God, that was probably 2009. 2000- Two thousand eight, nine, or something Somewhere like that. There. I know we released it. Um, yeah, I was getting way off topic, but I think we, we actually put the DVD out. Uh, I think it was right around Cinema Wasteland time, just before that one. So it was the Horror Hound in the spring. I think was when we first had like our big release. So that would have been the Cincinnati one. Must have been the fall before that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember meeting you there, and, and Cameron or, uh, or Keith came up to me and said, "Oh, you got to meet this guy. He's he's just like you. He's he spent all these years making this movie." <laughs> yeah, I was already like uh, like a year year and a half in at that point. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was, was almost fun. two years into making it, filming it on weekends in the summer. Yep. We'll never shoot another movie the same way again. <laughs> I I'll, I'll often say to people, you know, sometimes it's all about learning. You know, as long yep. as you learn and do things differently, because doing the same thing over and over again is just insanity. But, yep. you know, it's learning what to do and also learning what not to do is, is almost as important, if not more important, than learning what to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would, If I could do anything, the next time I do a movie like that, yeah, I want to just have like six weeks blocked off to film it rather than try to schedule people and hope they didn't get a haircut between September and November and just constantly deal with, with those kind of issues and just to get, you know, to get even performances and to just have people yes. there all together, you know, for a certain block of time. Yeah. But that's a real expensive way to make movies too, where you and I shot, yes. a movie, you know, for a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. It took a long time to make them, but you know, we saved money and we learned yeah, that's the whole point. You learn the next one, hopefully is better than, than the previous one. Yep. That's all you can hope is hope for yep. improvement or advancement, you know, but that being said, I think Lumberto Bava probably had the same idea in his head because he turned around well, and we're going to talk just for a bit about demons. Uh, yes. I will eventually do a show devoted to both films because if you looked at my desk that I'm shooting the podcast at now, one whole corner is demon stuff. It's the soundtrack. I got the VHS. I got a replica of the Metropole ticket. I got the Gerada, awesome. Rosemary, uh, Double Doll, Bobblehead, two of them. You know, I got all types of stuff. I love, love, love that movie. But it's such a good movie. It was such a stark contrast of, once again, taking a bunch of heavy hitters of horror. You know, at the time, Lamberto Bava, Goblin, Dario Argento, getting all these minds together. And it worked so much better. Oh, and it was and it was Dardano Sanchetti again. You know, he did the screenplay for Demons. And I think Demons too. too. You know, it was kind of the same team. But they were clearly more motivated, you know, to make demons than they were to yes. do this monster shark, you know, red ocean, whatever they call it, at, you know, at the time. And it's so again, that was another sort of an all-star production. But that one, I think Lamberto too, he was just he was, I think, more inspired by like music videos then. I think those were starting to get yeah. off the ground a little bit more. So he he flashed a lot more style in that one where you know, this monster shark, devil fish, he pretty much, he, you know, kind of shot it by the numbers. Again, it was solid. Very low good. Key. 
yeah, he didn't get in the way of it. He was like, you know, we'll just let the story cover it. Probably he should have gotten away a little bit and maybe done a little bit more and not left it to his editors to, you know, ruin it as far as the special effects went, which is a shame. But yeah, no, I think I sometimes I think that Lumberto kind of peaked with demons, but sometimes I go back and watch like a blade in the dark, which I think is a fantastic, you know, oh, small budget dark. Yeah, and uh, and Macabro or Macabre, whichever version you see, I think that's a fine film. He he he's done some some good stuff. Um, Delirium is pretty good, but uh, yeah, somewhere between A Blade in the Dark and Demons are, are probably my my favorite of, of his, you know, of the stuff that he directed. Um, but again, I, he's always been solid. I've never even this one. I you know I don't fault him for what happened. I just I do like you. I think that it felt like it was a fault in the writing and yep. the editing. In the editing, yep. Somebody, it may have been written well and the editor just screwed it all up. Or they may not have written it well and the editor was stuck with what he had, um, you know, to try to make something out of it. But one way or another, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a failing of it. But even so, I mean, I recommend this movie. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm I don't so need the MST. You know, I'm not coming in terribly high on it, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm glad I, you know, finally, like, watched it, you know, like, as a film and not being riffed sober you know. <laughs> watched yeah. it sober <laughs> yep watched it sober you know i guess i was kind of expecting something like uh, piranha or you know <laughs> you know barracuda or something like that or piranha the spawning some some you know jaws kind of rip off like that but it, it's just not what i got you know because i'm like ah, oh, yeah you know it, it's lumberto it'll be good nah 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 it really wasn't but, you know, it's a type of movie that deserves to be watched with uh, an alcoholic beverage and, you know, some popcorn and some friends. It's a good Wasteland movie. That's what oh. I say. A great Wasteland movie. I, I would have a ball with this. But just sitting and watching it on your own, just for me, was like, could have been better. Yeah, but just if you're going to if you're going to watch it, though, and, and you, you really want to watch it, um, you know, it, it's worth the Blu-ray. It's not very expensive. Pick it up, you know. Just see it how they really That's intend. Twenty dollars. I'll buy just about anything on DVD yeah. or on, on yeah. Blu-ray. I mean, you can, and obviously, there's some scenes on the Blu-ray that you didn't have. Did Did your version have the scene with the old couple getting killed in the boat at the beginning? Nope. It's right in the middle of the movie. There's an old couple. No. Okay. No, I, do I had not a feeling. Remember. Yeah, I have a feeling that the version on Amazon is missing quite a few scenes, and that scene is. It's no great scene or anything, but it's it's kind of like an attempt at a little comic relief in the middle of the movie. And it reminded me of Tentacles so much, which is another movie we could talk about someday. But um, Which one? You cut out there Tentacles. Yeah. Remember Tentacles? Oh, okay. yeah, it, I know of the, the whole scene. Yeah, where Tentacles had these, you know, sort of attempts at humor. And that's what they attempted to do in this scene, too. And it's the humor just doesn't translate really well. But uh, it, it was just an interesting, you know, hey, let's let's throw in a, we, you know, we got to have some filler here. We got to make the movie longer. Let's kill this old couple out in their boat, you know, and they're for, for no reason. Doesn't have anything to do with the plot, you know. <laughs> well, there was a lot that didn't have anything to do with the plot here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, it, it, I, I could see that happening and then just being like, you know, hey, we can lose it in this version. It's not going to hurt anybody. Yep, exactly. And hey, we already got our producers. We all got paid. You know, let's. We got an extra day. Let's quick throw this scene in. You know, they may have shot that one in Italy for all I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's got its charms, you know. It does. They, it's it's got a little bit of charm. It's got a little bit of sleaze. It's got a little bit of adventure, you know. It, I felt like the way they were trying to create with the Peter character was just a kind of an overall. Uh, <sighs> An Indiana Jones of, you know, the Florida Everglades. The guy that kind of knows a little bit of everything. He can ride a motorcycle and fly a plane and do this and do that, you know. Kind of jack-of-all-trades, master of none. That's kind of what, you know, I got with him. And he and he got the two hot girls, and he probably could have got that third hot girl, too, if she hadn't died, you know. So Yeah, like, what's with the guy that was the hired killer when he shows up and kills Dr. Janet? He just shoots her in the back. Yeah. You know? like a scoundrel he just like you know no 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 kind of respect or nothing no you know no screaming like hey just shoot a woman in the back you're real as we said before with this dude real classy guy yep yep <laughs> yeah you, huh. yeah 
Well, the last hope, few minutes. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just to say you hope that maybe there was a there was a better scene written and they just you know ran out of time or money or something. But yeah, it's such a lame, <laughs> a lame yeah. thing that they did there. But it seems like they put their all though into the last ten minutes or so. The last ten oh, yeah. minutes of the ending, they went all balls out. They had fire. They had explosions. They had the. Yep. More of the monster than you really see, I mean, at any other time in the movie. It's still a tentacle here, a tentacle there, jaws flapping here and there, points of view from inside the mouth. But I just don't know that it really would have worked at them, you know, pouring gasoline and oil on the water to kill something that uh, I I just don't get it. Like, it didn't make, again, huh? Oil and gasoline float. He would just go yeah. underwater. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just underwater and popped up in a different spot and just been exactly. like. Or just it reminded wait. me. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of part of a movie uh, that I a movie that I love, but a part that I hate. Jason Six, uh, Jason Lives when a Tommy just pours gasoline on the top of the lake, sets it on fire, and Jason pops up, of course, on the side of the boat with the the, the gasoline on it, so he's on fire. But you know, if he just went back underwater, he would. You know, be yeah. back out again. Fired me out. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's, it's just topical. You know, come on. Yeah. yeah but, <laughs> it reminded that, me again, of that. I, like that's how they kill the monster is just pouring gasoline and oil on it and and setting it on fire. Goes, goes all the way back to Frankenstein. Yep. Got to have fire. But but that whole sequence too was shot back in Italy. So I think they had you know probably their full crew and they said, hey, let's let's do this big scene in the swamp out here and we'll you know. We'll, we'll burn it all up. So they couldn't have done that in the Florida Everglades. Obviously, no way. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna do that in, in the United States. Even in the 80s, they had environmental regulations that wouldn't let them do that. Right, right. You know, but they went back and yeah, and, and all of a sudden, yeah, it was it was kind of strange because you know they're, they're doing all this stuff and all of a sudden it's night and you know Peter's standing there on the the side of the area and I'm assuming that he used his his audio you know, thing to lure it over there is whatever he was supposed to recreating its voice so that it could call the monster. And that's how they got it there. That was, yeah, that was never very clear, but assuming that's what happened. And then of course they, they somehow burned it up and yeah, the the fire scenes were effective. It looked good burning up, you know, and all that stuff. But yeah, that was definitely the most elaborate scene in the whole movie. (laughs) I feel like that's where they came together for one moment. Like on the last day, they're like, yeah, Oh man, we we got one last day of partying to do after shooting. Let's get this done, get it done quick, jump yep. everything into it, and then go off to the club. Yep, and off, that's, to the next, off to off to demons. Off, <laughs> off to the demons. Next. Like, like, listen, we got to finish this. We got a much better movie to make next year. Yep. Of course, I think they did this and Blast Fighter at the same time, so they might have gone from this right over to Blast Fighter or, or the other way around. They, they did them all like right in a row. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you never know. Just because one was released before the other, you don't know that that's the order in which they were, you know. Well, Bru- Bruno, was, Bruno was probably secretly directing some scenes for Blast Fighter while Lumberto was directing some scenes for this one at the same time. So. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's what they yeah, did. Like, uh, that's good. Well, I think we about summed it up. We, we talked about the movie front to back, back to front. Uh, I think it's time to give our final summary and rating on a scale from 1 to 10. All right, as the rules usually go here at Cinema Degeneration, is that the guests go first, so go ahead and take it. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to surprise you, because again, this this to me was an all-star production. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't edited perfectly, maybe it wasn't, you know, really coordinated in terms of the writing, but it still had enough of those, those Italian qualities that I love, um, just in terms of just, you know, overall, I like the pacing, the look of it, you know, the... the the performances that they got, not always good, but, you know, definitely, um, you know, for me, it's nostalgic of that whole era. It, to me, it just, it, it just, that was when they were peaking, 1980s, you know, 1979 to like 85-ish or so. That's when Italian cinema was at its peak in my, you know, my estimation. I agree. So I, I'm going to rate this one just from a pure entertainment value, whether you're laughing at it or you're watching it and you're enjoying just the Italianness of it, I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Ooh. Yep. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I've seen this movie six times at least. <laughs> I, I figured you were coming in higher than me on it, a little yep. higher than I thought. But 
<clears throat> much higher than I am. Well, I think you probably can guess where I'm going to come in at it. Uh, it. It's just, you know, it's just so disappointing on so many levels. Uh, it, it's, it does have a lot of the elements that I love in a good Italian horror film, but it's just, you know, the, the performances and everything about it is so, uh, so uneven. And part of the unevenness is what I love about, you know, it's, it's always feel like Italian horror films are very lucid, very dreamlike, you know, but this isn't dreamlike. This is more like a nightmare. It, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't come in high for me, you know, um, it does have, you know, like a couple actors I like, and of course, one of my favorite directors. So I, I got to count it, give it a couple of points for just nostalgia reasons, but I'm coming in very low. I'm coming in at a three and a half. Now, that being said, I will have to recommend it. I can't recommend it as a buy. You know, there's a lot of movies that I can recommend on a level of, you know, buy it, rent it, or, you know, ignore it. Definitely don't ignore it. You, you want to see this movie if you love cheesy films, you love B films, if you love Italian horror films. Yeah, definitely see this movie and definitely rent it. Pay a rental fee of $2.99 or whatnot if you got to rent it and see a good version of it. But I could never recommend to somebody else to buy this movie. You know what I mean? Like, I would buy it as a completist, you know, <laughs> because I'm just a physical media junkie at this point. But, uh, you know, I love old Lamberto Bava or, or John Old Jr. as he went by in this one. I just want to know how he came about that alias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah was, it, was his dad John Old, you know? <laughs> you but, know, I... I, I get, you know, I, I get where you're coming from on that, but I, I will, I do wish people could see it, you know, at, at the highest quality before they make a decision, because I think the version you saw streaming was missing some stuff, um, and it is a good-looking Blu-ray. I mean, it's just, it's a good-looking movie to watch. You wish there was more, you know, more monster, more this, more that, but, uh, you know, if you're a cult film fan and, and you love these, you know, these Italian, these, you know, Italian movies for those reasons, I think you'd give it a you'd give it a higher rating probably if you had a better version to watch. Yeah, I might come up, you know, I'll be honest, I could probably come up to a four and a half or five if I saw a better print of it. And maybe, you know, as a completist, I would want to see the the version with the, all the footage, you know, that's been excised. Because even you know, for better or worse, I want to see the, the way the movie was, you know, intended to be seen. You know, I'm, I could maybe come up that much more, but nah, not much more than that. It was just... Oh, the way it was edited just really put me off. I think that put me off more than anything. But again, yeah. I still, you know, got to recommend for a completist, you know, you know, if you're a completist like me and you've got to have every movie by a director, every movie by a certain actor, yeah, definitely pick it up. It's a, a you know, on that level, pick it up. It's a, you know, Salimberto Bava movie and he's just the man. Yeah, some of, and some of the editing for me is part of the charm. You know, that was just the era that's how they made movies in those days and you know they uh they, they you know they just they, they didn't have 12 cameras running all at the same time like spielberg started doing you know maybe they had two <laughs> yeah maybe probably one and, yeah, probably you know they had, to, they had to do their best putting it together this one had some yeah definitely some really bad editing flaws that were really disappointing to me and some definite writing flaws or both but I don't know. There, there's there's a charm to it, and if you like these kind of movies, I I think this is just just for the people involved and easy to watch and not boring or anything. I I'm fine. It's definitely it. not. It's definitely not boring. It doesn't commit the cardinal movie sin. If a movie is boring, then I will never recommend it to anybody. So that on right. that basis alone, it's definitely not boring. It's it's action packed. It moves very fast. And it, and it may not be boring just because you're like, what is the next dumb thing they're going to do? But, <laughs> yeah. but even that makes it not boring. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, oh, come on. But as long as you're waiting for that next, oh, come on moment and you're not bored, I don't know. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yep. I, like I said, I'm good with it. For the completist and the, and the diehard fan, I could recommend it as a buy. But, you know, definitely rent it. Seek it out. You know, there's, uh, I think there, there's other versions of it out there. I just had to go with what I could afford, which was free streaming on my Prime service that I pay for. So not really free. I say well, I, streaming free, but like no, I pay for the service. Damn it. <laughs> well, I'm just I base I bought it because I knew I was getting you know a three hundred dollar appearance fee to be on your show, and I thought I can spare fifteen bucks then you know to buy this movie. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> no, you're welcome. Like like I said earlier, the check is in the mail. 
<laughs> All right, on that note, folks, uh, we'll bid you a fond farewell. You have been listening to Cinema Degenerations Takeout Edition. Thanks for joining us. Well, actually, I'm gonna get the and you could get infected. I'll go get the iron.